Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. This is going to be another solo Porter show. I'm going to talk about what I feel is an underlying issue in our culture and just with the human condition in general, which is trying to control other people. And that comes in the realm of, you know, with this conversation about abortion and I just did my own show on the transgender topic and it comes into play when we talk about COVID policies. We've seen a lot of attempts for people, governments, <laughs> corporations, um, to control people. And so I want to talk about that because it's not just a macro problem. It's something that occurs within us. And so I feel that if we can start to look at what's happening within us, then we can begin to tackle this huge thing that is controlling others. All right, here we go. So I wanna start by saying that the pandemic, but not so much the pandemic, the measures of control that were put in place as a result of the pandemic was sort of the beginning of me really opening my mind. I've always considered myself very open-minded, but in reality, I haven't really been that open to political social positions that have veered, you know, on the right side of our spectrum, meaning like more conservative views. Um, I really haven't explored why people think the way they do in that way, because it always seemed to me, and this was illuminated for me, which was really interesting, it always seemed to me that the progressive liberal agenda was always the more conscionable one, was always the more open-minded one, and was always the one that was going to benefit society more, and that conservatives were sort of these, you know, selfish, um, righteous, you know, self-righteous sort of people who um, lived just by different principles that I wasn't really interested in. Anyway, fast forward, um, you know, through the pandemic, and I see my party. I, I don't really update. So I grew up in I'm France. Doing, I don't consider myself website, a Democrat. I've always my considered myself more get a free like socialist leaning, but you. not right, in the dictatorship. In the episode. Not Bye. in the aberration that socialism and communism can become in countries where it's basically just an excuse for the elite to rule poorer people. That's not what I means so maybe maybe if I were to adjust that it would be more of like an anarchist sort of community um, that I would you know envision as utopia but in any event it definitely wasn't conservative and I still don't consider myself a conservative but the point of this is that I have radically opened my mind and I am willing to look at views that I really wasn't willing to because during the pandemic, I saw the party that I always felt represented how I thought really switch gears and start to do the things that I didn't like about conservatives, which I saw conservatives trying to control things that were really none of their business. And I guess the biggest sort of, um, the biggest one for me was, was abortion, was women's uh, quote unquote reproductive rights, you know. Um, I did not think that that was something that a government should control. So when I, when I saw 
um, the left pushed so hard to push policies, agendas, uh, medications, the, you know, the V that we were all told we had to take or lose our jobs and not be able to go outside of our country and um, all these things that were really experimental. Um, you can't convince me that that's not true, by the way, but I'm willing to hear your, your opinion on it. So please do comment if you're seeing this and you're like, this, the, the vaccine wasn't experimental. It was tested on animals simultaneously with humans. So I would say that's pretty experimental and the trial only lasted like a week and then they killed all the mice. So, um, we don't know beyond that. We just don't know what the long-term side effects of this medicine because we know now that it is not actually operating like an actual vaccine which is supposed to prevent illness and prevent contagion of that illness it does neither of these things very effectively or for very long so it is experimental in my mind and you know if you're in an in the aging population i actually understand why you would take that gamble because you know, the likelihood of you having side effects is probably less than the likelihood of you being immunocompromised if you, you know, were to contract uh, the big C, the big coronavirus. Um, and, you know, realistically, you're not going to be uh, having more children, so you're not going to be spreading whatever, you know, side effects might have occurred from, from that injection. Anyway, so there, there are reasons I feel that certain populations would be more, you know, it would be more advantageous for them to get it. But to just push this on everybody, I felt was really, really unconscionable. I felt that pharmaceutical companies have a very, very horrendous track record in pushing medications, even ones that have been, you know, tested for far longer than this one. And, you know, going back and going, oh, oops, sorry, these side, you know, actually we didn't notice these side effects. The other thing that really concerns me is that in the advertising for, for these injections, there are no side effects listed. That seems highly suspect. I mean, when you look at a pharmaceutical advertisement uh, generally, you're looking at, you know, a full minute of somebody reading horrendous side effects and just magically, this is the only pharmaceutical where there's not gonna be side effects? Like, give me a break. So I I felt, anyway, I, I don't have a problem with people opting for this. It's, you know, because I believe in your body, your choice. I really do believe that motto and I believe that it go, it spreads across the board. If you really do truly believe in bodily autonomy, then I don't see why it stops there. And I also don't totally understand the rights position. You know, it was like, we, we saw like, just so funny for me, like we saw throughout the whole lockdown period, the pandemic, whatever, you know, the two years that we went through, the, the right just complaining about the, you know, the the tyrannical masking measures and the, you know, the forced vaccinations or you lose your job. I mean, these were like kind of real threats, especially after people had already lost a lot of their livelihood from not being able to go to work or having to shut down their business. <clears throat> um, and then like, just as we're coming to a close, it's like, bam, the right wants to now control the bodies of women for not getting an abortion. Anyway, I watched a 
I watched a very interesting YouTube video the other day because I did want to be informed about this and I did kind of want to understand what the anti-abortion or pro-life stance was a little bit better because I honestly, I felt like I had a pretty shallow understanding of it, just as I feel like probably the right has a pretty shallow understanding of what the left is talking about when they say, um, you know, pro-choice. Because I don't feel that most people who are pro-choice would feel comfortable with terminating an eight-month fetus or, um, you know, some of these other things that they're alleging. There's just a lot of, of kind of silly silly like extreme conversations that are happening when I feel like we could really come and actually discuss this which I never really felt like we could but I just feel like a lot of the terms are different on both sides and that the the desire to remain tribal or to remain true to one side kind of comes comes out more importantly than the desire to actually relate to other people and understand where they're coming from. Because I feel like our objectives are similar here. Um, and let me explain. So I watched, first I watched this, this really interesting um, discussion between Jedediah Bila, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, and Kim Iverson. I've been following Kim Iverson throughout the whole uh, pandemic. I've been really loving her reporting. She's made me feel not so alone in the way that I've been thinking because she's um, very critical of, uh, you know, establishment, big pharma, um, and, uh, actually read science. It, it's, it's really funny to me when people say that if you don't believe in, you know, vaccine mandates or whatever, that you're anti-science. I think that's, that's another one of these like silly extremist viewpoints. Like, you know, if you, if you have an abortion, you're a murderer. I mean, that it's like, that's not a useful, it's not useful in terms of the conversation. We really have to come back to a little bit more subtlety and a little bit more willingness to understand somebody's position. So I've been really loving her um, reportage. Uh, and then the other, and so then that led me to watching uh, an interview that Jedediah Bila, again, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, did with a woman who is a uh, pro-life, uh, this is her, her term, a pro-life activist, okay? And she used to be, some high up in Planned Parenthood that she she did that as her day job. She performed um, or observed or helped out in the performing of abortions on a daily basis. And, you know, she's now uh, very religious. And but what I loved about the the interview at the you know, the, we got into some religion at the end, which which more had to do with like um, the people who had had abortions feeling badly about it. And so she was talking about religion in that context, but religion didn't come into it. it and it, it really was a very palatable discussion. And, and I'll link both of these videos in the podcast description in case you're curious. It was a very palatable discussion for a liberal, <laughs> for a liberal like myself um, to watch. I did not, um, I did not feel like they were holier than thou or self-righteous about this discussion um, until maybe like the end. But 
I, I thought it was very informative. And one of the things that I learned, which I was very grateful to learn because I, like I said, I really had not given the position of quote unquote pro-life um, the time of day. You know, it, it just, it was like, this is silly. This is silly religiosity. I'm not, you know, I'm not giving it my time. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake not to give people an ear, you know, to understand their position if you're going to be arguing the counterpoint. So one of the things that I learned, which I found very interesting, and this was not the conclusion that they came to, but what I saw is I saw a business model, Planned Parenthood, that is falsely presenting itself as a you know, uh, as, as I feel like most, most companies are put in the position of presenting themselves as a do good cause, you know, they want to make sure that women get birth control. That's another huge problem. My, <clears throat> my stepsister actually just, um, I believe she worked on it. She told me she was working on it. So I assume that she completed working on it, but there's this new documentary that, um, Ricky Lake, and I think it's Abby Epstein, made uh, similar to the business of being born with the business of birth control. And um, I know from an interview with them, I haven't watched the movie yet, but I know from an interview with them that the research that they've done on birth control is actually quite scary. I mean, birth control, the pill, um, convinces a woman's body that she is perpetually pregnant. That wreaks havoc on her mental health. And I, and it is responsible for depression and anyway you can watch you can watch that documentary i intend to but birth control is not the friendly thing that we have been you know led to believe that it is uh, the women in empower women's empowerment tool i mean this is another one of those it's like the pharmacy if the pharmaceutical company can convince you that they're doing something for your good <laughs> you know we are the benevolent benevolent company that gives you a pill in which you do not have to worry about getting pregnant except this woman on the interview was saying that Planned Parenthood, yes, um, gives out or, you know, prescribes birth control, but a little over half of the women who end up coming in for an abortion end up or were on birth control already. So that doesn't seem like, like a great, you know, like a great deal. Um, but, you know, she says that they end up, they get into schools and they, you know, convince the girls that they need to come in for the birth control and then you know the std testing promoting high-risk behavior i i mean i see this you know maybe it's not as nefarious as she's saying but you know stay with me it's it i think that it's it's interesting to consider um and so these become their customers this is their customer base and so even though they're not making any money hardly on the these are loss these are losses that they're taking they're not making money on the prescriptions they're not making money on the testing that whether std or pregnancy testing they're not going to make a ton of money on prenatal care but what they do make a ton of money on is abortions and i thought this was interesting okay so if we can take the politics out of it let's imagine that a company has one product that actually makes them money and all the other products are only going to, um, will, will hurt the business if they don't sell this cash cow of a product, right? So in Planned Parenthood's case, it is the abortion. Their claim is that they're only um, doing 3% of their services as abortion. This is an interesting statistic because, and I'm just getting this from the interview. So um, if you know differently, please let me know. But 
uh, according to her and according to Jed, who had like a, you know, a sheet she had done research on, um, the, the, uh, the statistic is misleading as I find statistics tend to be because you have to ask more questions. Yes, it's 3% in terms of proportion of services. That is, they are giving out more birth control. They're doing more STD testing and more pregnancy tests than they are performing abortions. However, financially, it is a hundred or more percent of their revenue because the other services that they provide are not benefiting them financially. So they're paying their employees, they're existing as a business, and I realize they're a nonprofit, um, but they are general, you know, they are there there is money flowing through that organization and it is being paid for by tax dollars, as I understand it as well. So um, we are contributing to this. That is that is a little um, that's a little crazy to me. So if a company, if the company that is offering you a service of abortion, which I believe is a service that should be provided. In fact, I don't know why we have to go to a special center to get an abortion. I feel like that should be something that a regular doctor could perform. Um, but I also don't think that it should be something that is pushed because there is a financial incentive behind it. That is really suspect to me. Similarly, it is very suspect to me how we counted the COVID infections and deaths during the pandemic um, because there was not a line drawn between died with COVID as in happened to have COVID in my system. I'm not going to use the first, that's really creepy. <laughs> Half, this person happened to have COVID in their system and they died in a car crash of cancer, of a heart attack, whatever it was, and uh, died of COVID as in the COVID actually killed them. There was not a line drawn in that. So the numbers that were being given for quote unquote COVID deaths were very skewed. I'm totally going to get flagged for this video. Oh, well, let, let the fun begin. Um, so that and the reason for that, sorry, the reason I brought that up was because there actually was a financial incentive for uh, diagnosing someone with COVID as cause of death because the facility would get special funds for treating COVID or for having a COVID patient. Um, now, was it wrong for the government to give hospitals and doctors and whatever? I'm not sure how the pay structures work, but there was money put into if you had a COVID case. Was it wrong for them to do that? I don't know. I feel I, I'm, I'm not a policymaker, um, but I would like to see the financial incentive for any procedure, for any diagnosis, diagnosis taken out of it. Because what I really saw during this interview with Jed and the woman who was the pro-life activist was, why are we incentivizing financially people to have abortions? That's nuts. Why are we incentivizing doctors to prescribe chemotherapy? Why are we in like that? That just doesn't make any sense. Why are we in, why are, you know, pharmaceutical reps legal? What, how can, how can it be conscionable for a doctor to have a drug suggested to them? You know, 
Um, this should not be, it should not be advertising wars. It should not be a financial boon to diagnose someone with a disease and to not be able to talk to them about all their treatment options because you get more money for the one that you are being sold. I, this is extremely immoral. We're seeing this with the doctors, you know, on the on another extreme level, but with the, the doctors in California that are being told that they can only talk about COVID with their patients in very specific terms. And if they stray from that, they could lose their license. I, so um, in watching the interview actually with Kim Iverson and Jed, I actually agreed with Kim's point that I don't think the government should be involved in medical decisions. I think that doctors should work under a you know a better model and i think there's a lot of doctors that want to i don't i think that there are a lot of doctors and nurses i know i know one doctor who was you know confiding to me that she is really really fed up with the system and how it works she doesn't feel like she can help anybody which is why she got into this in the first place it's very frustrating but when you have a model that is based on recommending products and services so that you get a and you have a financial incentive to do that, that is really wrong. That means big pharma is behind the recommendations that you are getting from your doctor, which should be um, objective. They should be objective. They sh you should not be pushed into taking a medication or having procedure done to you. Um, and you know what? I And, and I, I also, but I was, well, I was gonna say, it, even, if you even if this has to be the case they should have to legally tell you that they are recommending this product because they make a commission or because they get a bonus they need to legally tell you that it is not right for a doctor a person in power to recommend something and not tell you the motivation behind it i had a situation with my first birth where the midwife because i decided to do a home birth the midwife um, told me at 40 weeks that, um, oh, I can't remember what the discussion was exactly, but she knew at 40 weeks that if I carried the, the, the baby, um, my oldest, 40 weeks, that at that point, was it 40 or 42? I think it was 40. Um, that at that point, if something went wrong with the well, she was no longer, she was no longer sort of protected by like um, whatever sort of protection was afforded to her by her licensure. Um, after 40 weeks, it was sort of like, it was sort of touch and go. Like if something went wrong, she really needed to haul, at, to haul me to the hospital because she could be in severe trouble, okay? But she didn't tell me this. So if she had told me this, then that would have been a huge relief. I only learned about this like a year later. That was, you know, it's like, what the fuck happened in that birth? But I was later than 42 weeks, perfectly healthy baby. There was nothing, there was no problem. But um, during, you know, during crowning, um, there were some heart decelerations, which as I have learned is pretty normal. It's not reason to call an ambulance. However, um, that was really scary for her because of the reason that I just told you. Um, <laughs> objectively speaking, far more dangerous to stall my pushing by having to get into an ambulance while I was crowning, far more dangerous. I mean, just think about this. Um, then to have just 
push through it, but she was freaked out out of her mind because of these laws that she was bound by, which is why I ended up not going with um, a licensed midwife my, my second time. I ended up doing a free birth. And if I hadn't done a free birth, I would have gotten an unlicensed midwife. Ask me about that later if you want to know more about that. Um, I do not believe in licensed midwives. I do not think that that is a useful or valuable um, thing to have because you are not dealing with surgery or any sort of medical procedure when you're talking about birth, hopefully. So um, I don't know why you would need any sort of external authority to do that. Um, that is my extreme view on birth. On birth, But anyway, I witnessed this in the context of, of, um, of birth and it really bothered me because I felt like if she had been upfront and told me that, you know, this stressed her out more or, you know, that she was bound by, by certain laws and this was what she was going to have in this event or whatever, that would have been fine. Then I could have made an informed decision. You know, maybe I would have chosen to just go to a hospital. Maybe I would have chosen to get, you know, somebody else who felt more comfortable about this, but at least there would have been a discussion. I, I don't understand why, um, why it has become commonplace, you know, in the, in the case of, of this, you know, abortion thing and case of you know, re recommending chemotherapy or with the, you know, counting of COVID, COVID deaths. Why are we, why are we allowing the institution of medicine to be dictated by for-profit industry? And so you had to look back and go, well, that must have to do with the fact that we believe medicine is about prescribing drugs, that we believe that wellness care is sick care, that we believe we're, you know, lack, if, if we're sick, we're lacking drugs. I don't know. Um, I, I remember getting di diagnosed. I was on birth control actually, because I, I had, um, acne as a college student. And so I went on Accutane and they forced me to be on birth control as part of the Accutane treatment because it can cause horrible, um, horrible uh, birth defects, knowing that half over half of the women who get abortions um, were on birth control, though I, I really wonder if that's a sound argument there, especially since I was not uh, sexually active. But, um, you know, nonetheless, I had to be on birth control. And I, I remember feeling really awful. I was gaining weight. And um, after my whole treatment, and I always blame this on the Accutane, but I was just reflecting this morning, like, I wonder if my hypothyroidism didn't stem also from the birth control, because that is a hormone and the thyroid, um, does, is linked to hormones. So anyway, I was able to cure that within myself. I, I did not have to go on lifelong medication, which was what I was recommended. And that kind of launched my you know, my interest in alternative, alternative medicine or alternative wellness, because, um, getting a diagnosis that I was going to have to be on a drug for the rest of my life was not acceptable to me. And I felt, um, I felt within myself, like, and I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, doing any sort of spiritual practice at the time, but I, there was a voice inside me that said like, this, this does not have to be true. This is not going to be the rest of your life. So, it was scary, but, um, I ended up with, you know, dietary changes and I was doing yoga. I started doing yoga, um, not needing the medication anymore. So 
anyway, that, that brings me back to control. So, um, what I, what I learned about the, the pro-life, you know, quote unquote, anti-abortion, whatever you want to call it, um, mindset is that they don't feel that they are trying to control the woman as much as they feel a duty to protect the child. And here's, I feel like the, the most, um, uh, weighty, uh, significant part of their argument, because after listening to this, I really did feel, I really did feel for those fetuses, um, that were aborted. So, and I'm, I'm not about to say that I don't think women should ever have an abortion, but, but just, you know, keep an open mind here. So the abortions that are performed at Planned Parenthood are done through this suction method. And I had no idea. I wonder if any, if people who are pro, are, um, pro-choice really actually know what an abortion is. I had no idea. It's like this sort of like foggy concept, right? Like when you know how something works, it's totally, it's a totally different thing. But, um, they basically stick like a, it's like, what'd she say? Three times or nine times, something more powerful than a vacuum cleaner inside of a woman's uterus. And they listen, they don't even look, they can't see anything. Um, they suck the baby, uh, and they listen for this, like, like the sucking sound, which means they have the head. When they have the head, they pull the whole thing in. Then they take the, what they call the product of conception, meaning the fetus. And I found that term, ugh, <laughs> that, is, that is so gross. Product of conception, oh my gosh. I mean, that's that's just like, how do you, how do you detach yourself, right, from, from, you have to contend with the fact that there's death. I mean, you just, you're gonna have to, you can't make it, you know, it's like you can't um, butcher a cow without understanding that you've taken a life. That's why certain cultures will say a prayer or have some sort of ritual around it, right? Like there has to be an acknowledgement that this was life. I mean, um, whether you believe it was a baby or not, it, it had, you know, if there's a head, you know, that there was like, anyway, you put it in, in like a Pyrex glass dish with water and they floats. And then the doctor has to make sure that all the parts are there because if the, you know, like a little finger or something's left inside the mother, that can be deadly. Um, they, as a rule, this is according to her, do not call ambulances because that would give them bad PR if there is a problem. But the reason she had a change of heart, she would do this on a daily basis, was because one time there was a traveling, um, a traveling abortionist, I guess they're called, who, who required the use of ultrasound during the abortion, which seems far more respectful to the woman, don't you think? That like the person, you know, kind of operating on you would be able to actually see what they're doing. That seemed really strange to me um, that they wouldn't be able to see what they're doing. So maybe in other countries it's done differently, but, um, and maybe in other uh, establishments it's done differently, but according to her, this is how Planned Parenthood is doing it. And, just the image of like this baby sort of like squirming inside the mom's uterus, trying to avoid the vacuum, like, you know, and being quite forcefully, I didn't realize how kind of graphic and 
um, violent uh, the thing was. Uh, but you know, I I also believe like I don't I don't think that it's not violent to bring a child into a home that's unwanted. And I also have a dad that was adopted and you know has struggled his whole life with that. So I I don't see the better choice necessarily bring is bringing a, an unwanted child into the world. However, I will say this. It, it seems like they would be performing less abortions if there were less financial incentive. And that's really troubling to me. Um, the other thing that I find really troubling is that over half, over half of the women who are getting abortions are already on birth control. This means that women are under the false, are under a false sense of security with the pill. If it's not working, then they should be told to use something else. However, something else is probably not as financially viable for a pharmaceutical company, such as a condom or, you know, having less sex or knowing somebody better when you do. Um, and, you know, and I don't say this as a prude, like I love sex. I mean, I, I'm not, um, not that I, you know, was sleeping with a ton of people in my twenties, but like, I, I don't believe in waiting until marriage, I, I you know, and, and, and all that nonsense and abstinence and whatever like there are there are hormones and and there's pleasure and there you know I don't think people should should be held up to an impossible standard um and I think the lack of awareness about birth control methods such as you know condoms or or um you know sure oral contraceptives I mean the honestly the solutions are not fantastic and I've I've heard of like other ones like neem oil the you know the the guy takes neem oil, supposedly that makes his sperm. I would really love to see less um, less damaging forms of birth control be put on the market. And perhaps if less women, you know, trusted the, the, the pill, then that would have to get accomplished. Um, I was using like a wild carrot seed uh, after sex when I first got married. And I still to this day don't know if it, the fact that I forgot to take it or that it just didn't work <laughs> was how I had my first baby. Um, Cause he definitely wasn't, uh, wasn't planned, but he was definitely wanted. And um, I'm always relieved that I got pregnant because I don't think I ever would have thought I was ready and I did want kids, so. But anyway, um, so I thought that was interesting. I sort of for the first time understood how they could have this argument about like, no, we're not trying to control the woman, we're trying to protect the baby. Okay, I get that. You feel for the baby. Um, you know, does does a fetus have the same level of consciousness as a baby or a grown child? Do they feel pain in the same way? I thought that this was interesting because Jed had talked about fetal pain. From what I know about pain, pain is something that happens in the mind. It's not something that is measurable. Um, somebody could, you know, 10 people could get a stab wound and they would experience very different levels of pain depending on who they are. So I'm not convinced that we can know what the fetus is feeling and thinking and, you know, experiencing about this. I think it is probably traumatic. I also think birth is traumatic for a baby. Um, it's like kind of the first traumatic event. So, you know, there, I feel like there's, there's though, there's those arguments, but I really was sympathetic to, you know, the, the idea of preserving a life. Now, where it gets where it gets troubling for me is 
I don't understand how you can extend that to, and so you shouldn't do this with your body. That is an overreach because at the end of the day, yes, it may be a life, it may be a baby, but it's inside a woman. It's inside a woman. And you know what? Yeah, it might be super selfish. I, I, that word was used in the thing for a, for a woman to choose her career or her whatever over the life of this growing fetus inside of her. But I don't feel like that is the only selfish. Um, I don't think that that's the only selfishness that is taking place in that instance, because I feel like we're very quick to, or the, you know, the pro-lifers are very quick to sort of bring in the, the argument of, you know, well, the father should have a say. And, you know, I, I, if there is a good relationship between the woman and the father, I feel like that's probably not something you have to legislate either, right? That's probably something that's just a given. Why wouldn't they do that? Um, and if there's not a good relationship, if there was race or the rape, rape, <laughs> rape or coercion or just an abusive relationship, do I feel that the father should be involved? Absolutely not. Why would they? What? What? If the woman doesn't feel safe with that man, then I don't think that she sh she has a an obligation to involve him in parenting. That is, that is nuts. Um, so I don't think there should be legislation either way. I don't think that there sh you should be legislated to. Um, again, I don't think the government has a place in medical care. Um, and this is interesting because I think that, um, well, it does have a place in medical care. It should make sure that uh, medicines can't be, can't cost, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars or whatever the crazy price for, you know, pharmaceuticals is in this country. Um, I don't, I, I think that big pharma should be reduced to what it needs to be and provide, you know, essential drugs to people. And I think that those drugs should become generic. And I think that we should, um, you know, be able to, I think people should be able to afford their own their own healthcare and also get informed consent from their doctors and be given, you know, be given access to nutrition facts. And, you know, it, it, it was interesting. I was at the chiropractors the other day and there was this guy in there who was getting, um, you know, an adjustment and the chiropractor recommended turmeric for his inflammation. And I was thinking, it's so interesting to me that you can recommend not that this was a bad thing i'm not judging him but this is a very common thing like it's not bad to recommend turmeric the turmeric's not likely to do much though if you don't also change your diet you know if you're eating like a bunch of wheat or a bunch of inflammatory foods and also taking turmeric it's not going to significantly change your outcome so we need to stop thinking of ourselves as we need to stop thinking of our, our relationship with food as completely dissociated with our state of being. I mean, it is literally the raw materials of our body, right? We take the food and it forms our body at any given point. We are the product of whatever, you know, variety of, of foods that we took in. Um, in that, you know, in that period of time, and it's not random or, um, or completely, 
uh, well, it's not random that we feel the way we do eating the way that we do. You can't know that until you completely alter your diet though. So I, I totally relate to how people don't get that because um, if I hadn't so drastically changed my diet so many times, and I did not do this to look better, by the way, I did this to feel better. So it was not a diet, but it was changing my diet. You know, like I found out um, kind of at a late age that that wheat um, really bothered me. It felt, I thought I was getting yeast infections because it, it bothered my um, intestines so badly that it felt like a, an irritation, you know, possibly in like my um, reproductive uh, organs, but it was, but my, my doctor who was a wonderful doctor um, told me that, that I was, that I might have um, a slight intolerance for wheat. And she also mentioned dairy and that if I eliminated those, this was at another time when my hypothyroidism popped back up because I was consuming a ton of raw milk because I was trying the Weston Price sort of like vegetarian version of it. But uh, if you can imagine, um, you know, having like raw dairy and fermented grains and things like that, but it ended up really irritating me. Yeah, it ended up really um, irritating me and causing a lot of inflammation. And she explained to me how that affects the thyroid, which I'd never considered before. But it makes sense because the way that I healed my thyroid the first time was by going raw vegan and I wasn't consuming any dairy or wheat or gluten um, in that context. So that made a lot of sense that it would that, that would work. So I I do still eat dairy, but I, I don't eat um, eat wheat. And that really helps me. I don't have any sort of thyroid issues anymore. So, you know, we have to be encouraged to get to know our bodies, get to know what we tolerate well, what we don't. I think that this has to kind of tying in with what I was talking about with Grant on my last podcast is <clears throat> he was talking about how like, you know, watching Netflix and eating a tub of ice cream is not self-care. And I, it made me think about self-love. You know, when you love your body, when you when you have actual body positivity, when you feel positively about your body, you want to take care of it. You don't want to just accept your disease in a sense. You know, it's like if I had been diagnosed with hypothyroidism and I was like, I'm going to love my hypothyroidism and I'm going to feed my hypothyroidism and I'm going to become the face for hype. You know, it's like, really? Um, I, I don't know that that is, that's not love. I mean, I can understand going, okay, I accept that I have hypothyroidism. Now, what may have led me to this point here? What might I have done to create this? And why did I, why did I do that? You know, what was I trying to numb myself, um, from perhaps, or what emotions was I trying to avoid? What was I trying to <sighs> bypass? You know, that I think that's usually the basis. My mom introduced me to this concept at a very early age of uh, illness being psychosomatic, but she didn't really have like a, a tool to work through that. It was like, oh, you're sore, you know, your throat is sore because you, um, you know, you're feeling sad, but she didn't help me kind of work through that to heal my throat. So that was kind of the work of the you know, the latter part of my, my twenties and thirties was, okay, so how do I take that knowledge? I know that I am afflicted. This is an area that I used to get afflicted by a lot and I don't anymore, which I find very interesting. 
Um, but I think I also wasn't speaking my truth a lot. And obviously, I mean, you can see I'm talking away here. So I must have at some point realized that my health depended on sharing what I had to say and sharing my voice and sharing my message. And um, that is a huge component in the thyroid as well, right? So when we think about energy centers, we get to that point. But anyway, I'm, I'm as, as you would expect from me, but I have gotten, yes, I've gotten quite far from the subject of control. I'm gonna rein myself in a little bit here. So I, I find it very interesting how we try to control people because at the heart, I understand, I understand better, like so much better the, you know, the, the rights position. I feel that the left, and I'm not sure if this is like, it, it, it just happens this way. It's like, we, we're shown the most extreme right-wing positions on this as in like, even if it's incest, even if it's rape, even if it's going to kill the mother, no abortions, you know, and then we see the left of like, even if I'm one day away from giving birth, I deserve to kill that fetus. And it's like, neither of those things are helpful. That is really, really polluting the environment for conversation because I don't feel like that's, first of all, it's not the majority of what people are thinking, okay? But you don't have to bring up, <clears throat> you don't have to bring up the possibility that someone is going to want to abort a fetus at <clears throat> nine months because <clears throat> first of all, if that were being done, there would have to be a medically necessary reason why that was being done. It would have to be necessary, right? It couldn't just be on a whim. What doctor would do that? Um, and if they would, then I feel like that would be a board sort of discussion that would need to have. Are we going to let this rogue doctor who thinks it's okay to abort viable fetuses um, what we would call a preemie and put them in an incubation thing if they were wanted um, at, you know, at nine, I'm nine months. It's absurd, right? But, but this is sort of the, the extremist views that come and just pollute the conversation and make it impossible for us to actually have a conversation about this with somebody who has a different opinion than we do, which is something that we should know how to do. We should know how to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with us. Um, in fact, those are usually the best conversations because why would you want to just, you know, say the same thing over and over again to somebody? <clears throat> I don't know what. It's so funny. I was talking about my throat. Now I have this like frog in my throat. <clears> throat> it's because I'm, I'm sharing my views, sharing my views, and I'm a little resistant. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> wow. All right. Anyway, probably because I know this is going to get me some flack. That's okay. I will work through that. Um, so I think though, that like this theme that we, that we are seeing is no, it's not new. You know, I think that the objective of politicians of ruling class, you know, and now it's like corporations have become sort of ruling class is to subdue the, you know, greater population, because if they don't, if they don't control us by, you know, pitting us against each other or, uh, you know, um, making us feel that if we, you know, don't toe the line, we will be, we will have serious financial repercussions, whatever it is. We live in a certain amount of fear, which keeps us from demolishing the establishment, which would be so 
fucking easy to do. I mean, you know, the French did it, the Haitians did it, you know, um, that like there's more of us than there are of them. Easy schmeasy, but it is, but if we can't all talk to each other and we can't see that we have a shared humanity, then we're not going to join forces and we're not going to demand, um, things that would actually serve us such as things that would meaningfully help help out you know working class people things that would legitimately improve lives we will continue to feed a machine that is you know pretending to serve us while catering to the needs of giant corporations and i definitely see that in the united states i'm not familiar with you know, how other countries necessarily do their, their, um, politics. But I think that the lobbying, you know, the, the lobbying industry is hugely problematic because it means that, you know, we're being told go out and vote. Why? My vote counts for nothing compared to the pharmaceutical lobby that, that votes. No, that votes with their dollars. Do you know what I mean? Like I can vote for a, a candidate, um, but ultimately that candidate is probably going to be bought by some huge corporation that gave tons and tons of funds to their campaign and promises to give more or a job after their, you know, after their, um, their term is over or shares in their company or whatever it is. But there is no incentive for that politician to cater to my needs or to your needs because we're not paying them. We're not, we're not providing anything to them. Um, so much better to just, you know, control us by pitting us against each other with this silliness. Um, and I don't mean to say that abortion is silly. That's not my point, but like the extreme views, you know, on this or like the way that we were pitted against each other during the pandemic. Um, it's, it's not helping the human the human cause. And I just, so I did want to get to this idea of control in like an internal way. Control is something that we do to ourselves. We attempt to control ourselves so that we appear a certain way when we are in conversation with people, when we are at work, when we're with our partner or whatever, we control what we say because we don't want to start an argument. We control how we react because we don't want to appear this way. We we control, we control, we can try to control our kids so that we look better when we're in public. We, we try to, uh, control our partner so that, you know, we're not embarrassed or so that, um, you know, we have lots of reasons for attempting to control ourselves and the people in our immediate environment. But the basis of that need is that we want to feel safe. And if we can, if we have this, you know, maintain this illusion that we can create an outward reality that we are okay with, that is in line with what we believe is moral and just and right, then we feel better. So the overlying, you know, the, the, the main theme here is, is that we want to control, we wanted to control people during the pandemic, make sure they were wearing masks and they were vaxxed and whatever, because that would give us a sense or whoever thought that this was a good idea, would give them a sense that they were safe, that this person was doing what they thought was right. In reality, 
the sort of world, the sort of paradigm and new earth that we are going into is one that is based in love and love is not controlling. Love is not conditional. Um, if it is, then it is not love. It allows for a variety of opinions to be expressed. It allows for a variety of actions to take place. Uh, it does not attempt to control other people. And until we, you know, until we realize that all of this has to do with attempting to control another person so that we can feel safe, until we address that insecurity within ourselves, we will continue to play out these rather extreme positions on how people are allowed to act and be and what they're allowed to say. And I really hope that this doesn't have to devolve, you know, into more extreme measures um, because what I've experienced in the last three years is that the extremism has been off the charts on both sides of the aisle. Um, and, and it's funny that we have to talk about two sides again. I'm just going to get on my soapbox one more time. There should be more than two political parties or at least two noticeable uh, political parties um, and lobbying. But yeah, we, we, will, we will get nowhere if we cannot recognize that we share a shared humanity, that we share a common desire to feel safe and we need to stop putting that power, that responsibility in someone else's hands, okay? It is not your responsibility for me to feel safe, right? It is not my responsibility for you to feel heard. It is not my responsibility to make sure that I am talking to you the way that you want to be addressed. It is your responsibility to make sure that you are being addressed the way that you want to, you know, and when you respect yourself, you will be spoken to in a way that you want to. So it's not easy. It's not easy work, but it is important work. And it's the only work that's going to matter because until, until we have that realization that it's not someone else's responsibility, then we will not be able to create communities that are based on that principle of love, that are based in freedom of choice, that are based in respect of differences, that are based in um, tolerance of, of uh, different opinions, right? Um, so anyway, those are my thoughts for today on control, on abortion, on COVID. <laughs> this is quite, I wonder what I'm gonna call this. Um, but anyway, thanks for uh, staying until the end if you did. And um, we will have another podcast for you next Friday. All right. See you later. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please remember to like, rate, subscribe, whatever your service offers you as a way to engage and let others know that you're enjoying it so it gets shared with more people. I have just launched my newest coaching program called Emotional Fluency 101. You can check out the info on that at portersinger.com slash coaching and book your complimentary intro call there so that we can chat and find out if we work well together. For all news updates on what I am doing, you can go to my website, portersinger.com, sign up for my mailing list and get a free track as a thank you. All right, I will see you in the next episode. Bye.